Hey everybody, welcome to My Cheesehead Life, a Packer fan podcast. My name is Patrick, I'm the host of this podcast. Thanks once again for listening, always appreciate uh, anybody giving me a listen here on the podcast world, and uh, kind of the normal intro stuff, a reminder, my website, mycheeseheadlife.com, got an email if you want to reach out to the show, info at mycheeseheadlife.com, uh, my handle on X, the website formerly known as Twitter, is at mycheeseheadpod, and then I'm out there on Instagram with mycheeseheadinsta, so um, yeah, I a little bit different today, a little, little off schedule, if you will, for, for the show. Um, normally, normally don't do, uh, any content on a Friday, but, uh, went to the Packer game last night, uh, the Thursday night game against Detroit Lions, uh, took a day off from the day job today. So I thought eh, kind of a WTF, what the Friday, why not do, why not do a podcast, get some kind of quick reaction to that game, uh, that we attended last night and, um, you know, try to, Try to put that one to bed before a long break coming up here for the Packers and and share some thoughts, uh, immediate reactions. Well, I guess not super immediate. Um, had some time to listen to some of the sports talk radio, fan call-ins, see some of the posts on Twitter. So uh, according to many fans, uh, a, lot of, a lot of coaches should be fired and too many Lions fans at Lambeau Field last night. So we'll touch on a lot of that stuff. And uh, really, really just kind of a, a Packer game focus here. So not a lot of other items to get to. We'll just talk about that doggone game. But before I do, I, I had at least one kind of interesting story, at least interesting for me. Um, so being to a lot of Packer games over the years and you find, I don't know if you'd say shortcuts or just areas. I mean, parking's an issue, right? So sometimes you can maybe get a parking pass or there's a lot of places around the stadium that charge for parking and going back a lot of years, like 25 years or so, I, I, I got to know a guy, coincidentally, his name's Elliot Ness, um, just like the, the law enforcement guy from many years ago. Um, so many years ago, I, I got to play softball with Elliot and really nice guy. And he, he kind of says, well, if you're going to Packer games, you can park in my driveway. So he's got a house just two, three blocks from the stadium. And that was pretty convenient for a number of years, number of games, I should say. Um, but then I realized pretty quickly at that time, we were, as a family, kind of doing more of the tailgating and getting to the stadium about three hours early. And by the time I would get to Elliot's driveway, I started to notice there was a lot of just, you know, free street parking available. So I, I eventually stopped taking advantage of uh, the, the kindness of Elliot Ness letting me park in his driveway. And, but always use that kind of neighborhood or a few blocks around his house as a, as a good spot to, to find some street parking for free. And it's probably four or five block walk to the stadium. So last night, me and Mrs. Cheesehead arrived a little earlier than normal. So I thought, well, why don't we check my old uh, neighborhood there to see if there's a parking spot on the street instead of paying the 20, 30, 40 bucks at a local business or someone's house where they're charging and uh, thought we could just scope out that area. And as I'm doing this, uh, for years, I've kind of told the story of Elliot Ness and how I used to park in his driveway and it's this kind of, you know, neighborhood. And that's how I got to observe or kind of become aware of some of the street parking that's available here. And I was literally, you know, we had parked the car and we're walking towards the stadium. And I was literally saying to my wife, who's probably heard me talk about Elliot Ness a hundred times, you know, when we go park and then I'll, 
I was starting to say like, yeah, I don't even remember. You think I remember which house was his as we're walking by two or three homes. They kind of resemble each other. And I, I, you know, again, this is like 25 years ago. And then as I'm kind of looking, I'm like, I don't know, maybe that's his house. And then I look and I do a double take and who do I see in the driveway, but the one and only Elliot Ness. Um, so that was really cool to see Elliot after maybe 25 years and, and not really taking advantage of his kindness to park in his driveway. And he's the same nicest guy as ever, uh, shook his hand, traded our contact information. And he of course, immediately offered his, uh, his driveway availability if we needed future parking. Um, so what a, what a great coincidence walking into that stadium, uh, earlier than normal parking in a spot that I hadn't parked in forever talking about my guy Elliot Ness from years ago and then what what happens I turn around and look and there's Elliot uh, and then we walked a couple blocks together because he was headed over I think to his mother's house or something uh, nearby so uh, good to see you Elliot uh, maybe I'll I don't I don't think I had a chance to tell him I'm podcasting but I'll, I'll try to get him uh, a link and and uh, look forward to maybe parking in the, the famous driveway of one Elliot Ness so Kind of a fun story uh, that was, I guess, turned out to probably be the highlight of the night, considering the the results of the Packer game. Uh, so really cool to see Elliot, and everything kind of went downhill from there, I guess. But seriously, I mean, it, it's hard to have a bad day at Lambeau. I mean, it was a great night, gorgeous uh, weather, uh, really fun atmosphere. This was a, a an opportunity to sit in some seats that were in row three, right behind the Lions bench. So really awesome view of the game the one drawback there is of course a lot of detroit fans were were milling around behind the bench we got we got to our seats almost an hour before about an hour before kickoff so kind of a new record for me but that was still fun to me like a thursday night game all the atmosphere the the thursday night tv crew for amazon is just over the right shoulder you can kind of see them matter of fact uh the the stairway right next to my seat is where they usher some of the famous types up and down from the press box. So within about 20 minutes of being there, I turn over my right shoulder and there's like Fitzmagic walking down the steps right next to me, uh, Tony Gonzalez, some of the people from that uh, Thursday night crew. So pretty cool always to see that stuff up up close, live and in person. Uh, it's certainly nice to watch a game from the comfort of your own home, but uh, those, are, those are the things that are cool about going to the stadium is just that atmosphere. So... All that was good. Lots of Lions fans milling around. They're excited. Got to admit, um, as as a long time uh, Packer fan and gone to a lot of Lambo games at Lambo, uh, like many people have been saying this morning and on the radios and and all the posts that you know way too many Lions fans at Lambo. And I I don't know how you measure that, but yeah, it certainly seemed like way more opposing fans than any game I've ever been to. And that's kind of I guess the good news and the bad news about. Uh, tickets being electronic and on Ticketmaster for the last couple of years. So the Green Bay Packers were one of the last teams to go to electronic tickets. Uh, we have, let's say, one of the more traditional fan bases. Uh, so so it, it was it was a little bit of a, a journey to get to get all these uh, Packer fans off of those you know paper tickets and and move to the electronic ones. So it's only been I don't know three years, maybe three seasons, maybe more one of the last pro franchises to make that change. And and so prior to that, if you wanted to sell your Packer tickets, uh, you pretty much had to know someone or, you know, now I guess you can put them on Facebook or some of those types of things. Um, but, but once they went to the electronic tickets, 
it was it was kind of a good news bad news like i said the good news is yeah i mean if, if you're stuck with a pair of tickets and you need to sell them you know right from the comfort of your smartphone you can post them on ticketmaster and give you a, a nice recommended recommended price and without and, and they also guarantee like if the person who buys them misbehaves you know as a season ticket holder you're not going to lose your seats there's kind of that built-in guarantee compared to you know, if you're just selling them to some stranger outside the stadium and that stranger loses their minds in the game, you know, years ago, that could have impacted your status as a season ticket holder. So this online Ticketmaster stuff, and I think a number of the brokers offer that kind of guarantee that you don't lose uh, your your season tickets if the person who bought them acts like a jagoff. But um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a good news thing. It's, it's really convenient if you're in a situation and you got to get rid of tickets. But the bad news is, you know, there's really no limitations on who can buy those tickets anymore. So, you know, if, if you got, you know, obviously Detroit and Upper Michigan being real close to Green Bay, um, it, not a big journey if people want to go online, spend some extra cash on those tickets and make the trip to Lambeau. So not a huge surprise. And then a caveat to that is that this is one of those I talked on a previous episode, if you weren't aware that uh, a couple of the games every year at Lambeau are actually considered, you know, Milwaukee ticket holders. So it goes back years to when a couple games a year were played in Milwaukee. You know, they, they, they stopped playing in Milwaukee, but they kept, you know, making those season tickets available to the people in Milwaukee. So what that means is, and I don't know how this ends up on the scheduling or, or who goes into it, whatever. Um, it seems like there's pretty consistently of those two Milwaukee games, one of them usually seems to end up being a night game. Um, and, and so basically a Thursday night game for someone who has tickets. And if they're from or in the Milwaukee area, you're looking at about a 90 mile drive to, um, Lambeau field that game gets over 10 PM. Shoot. I didn't get home till, you know, quarter after 11. That's a late night for a lot of people, especially like a weeknight school night. You know, if you got kids that you got to get off to school the next day. So that's a little bit of insight as to why. Uh, that that stadium had so many Lions fans is maybe there's a lot more Milwaukee folks that just weren't ambitious enough to make that trip on a Thursday night to Lambeau. So a lot of a lot of heartburn on, on the socials this morning and, and the radio talk about how disgusted people were about all those you know and how they should pull the tickets from the Milwaukee people. Blah blah blah. And and I kind of get that, um, but at the same time, you know, a good way to solve any of that frustration is to just win the game, right? So you won't see the Lions fans buying up all those tickets if they didn't feel like their team could win at Lambeau. Um, and then further, if they do buy up all those tickets, how about the Packers just go ahead and win that game, and then there's no big ruckus of uh, Lions fans that, that are annoying the Packer fans. So I don't know. I know it's, it is a little frustrating. I remember years ago as a kid, uh, sitting in, in Lambeau and, and we could almost, almost always, there was like one little pocket in the, in the corner of the stadium that would be like opposing fans. Other than that, it was almost always like a hundred percent Packer fans. And that's, you know, mid or let's just say the nineties. Um, and, and then really further on, but once uh, the internet started making it a little easier to, to unload tickets or, you know, the reach of selling your tickets uh, was no longer limited to who you knew around the area, um, you, you definitely see more uh, fans from opposing teams at Lambeau Field. And last night might have been one of the all-time, you know, highest numbers of opposing fans. Lots of blue, lots of the Honolulu blue walking around that stadium. And to be honest, a little frustrating uh, early, early in the game. 
using some of the facilities walking around the concourse those lions fans sure were uh boisterous pretty uh high on themselves high on their team and they turned out to be justified for it because uh just certainly the lions came in and and took care of business and and sent all those uh, fans home happy that made the trip to rainbow field so like i said you know you're gonna have other fans from other teams coming in that's fine but maybe if your home team could could do a little better job and win the game and make it a good game um that that might change uh, the 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 pulse or whatever of of how it feels to have all those opposing opposing fans in Lambo. And then old uh, PA announcer Jartsy, he had us turn on our uh, flashlights at, at around uh, kickoff time or whatever. So that was cool because it was dark this time instead of doing it during the noon game on Sunday. So good job Jartsy on that. Um, and overall, like I said, really, really electric atmosphere leading into the kickoff. Uh, place was really loud. All the fans were excited. Detroit fans, Packer fans, you name it. And, and you know, it's kind of fun for those Detroit fans, or at least being there. You know, they're so excited to see their team after stinking so long. And uh, all I could really do to try to temper the enthusiasm at times is like, well, we're just watching two non-playoff teams. And to remind those Detroit fans a couple of times that technically they really haven't won anything forever yet. So enjoy the enjoy the fun times. Um, but yeah, it was it was certainly a good night if you're a Detroit Lions fan. Packer fans, we had that nice interception to get started. Everybody was pretty fired up. Uh, Rudy Ford gets a pick, and then that got turned into a field goal. And and pretty much after that, uh, Detroit pretty much controlled most of the game. Which if you watched it, uh, that's not news. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of go back to, to what happened and, and my, my take on it a little bit. And, and it's something I mentioned in the previous episodes is again, if you're going to trot out the youngest team in the NFL, and I understand why, I mean, you got some salary cap, uh, ramifications from Rogers and players you've paid over the years. And this year is kind of, like I've said, rip the bandaid off kind of year, uh, with a lot of dead cap money. Uh, holding this team back from acquiring maybe some more veterans or something, or maybe they wouldn't anyways. I don't know, but you sure need to have, I think, better coaching or better game planning going on when you're walking into these games with the youngest team in the league. Um, I had said, and I'll, I'll take a little bit of the blame for the loss. I talked a bit on hump day about, you know, being willing to pick Detroit as a, as a reverse psychology. And, and then if I, you know, if the Packers come out and win, then, then I'll, I'll sacrifice that one pick in my picks. Well, I didn't have the guts to pick Detroit. I, I, I'm sorry, everybody. I, I goofed up. Had I picked Detroit, maybe the Packers would have come out and won that game. So I, I gotta be honest, you know, I want to take accountability. Um, you know, look at me first, what could I have done better? And, and I'll admit I, I, I fell short on my picks in terms of the reverse psychology that I was hoping to use to, to help the Packers win. So I generally don't like to pick Thursday night games. Uh, to me, it's always a, a bit unpredictable with the short week and, and what's going to happen there. And, and uh, so, yeah, I chickened out, didn't pick anything on that game as far as my normal picks go. And then, of course, uh, Detroit comes in pretty fired up and, and puts a beat down on the Packers. Uh, if you didn't know, I mean... I think most anybody that's listening to my Cheesehead Life, a Packer fan podcast, knows that the final was 34 to 20, um, and and really never even felt like it was that close for most of the game. I think the Packers were down like 27-3 at halftime, so that was a, a pretty brutal first half once again. So when I talk about the coaching and, and the youngest team, what I'm really getting at and will continue to talk about if it doesn't change 
is why why there's not more emphasis on the running game. I don't know what's going on with Coach Lafleur and his offensive approach or his mindset, and of course we'll never know how many plays might be changed by the quarterback at the line. So there's some of that. Of course, you know maybe there's a run called and then Love changes the play at the line based on a look. You know, so who knows how much of that goes on. Um, but I think in this game, if I recall correctly, uh, the Packers didn't run it until like their third possession, I think, run the football. And, and I just, I'm just consistently just baffled by what's going on with this offense and, and their approach. Um, I get it. They're young and, and a lot of Packer fans are, are kind of honestly taking this loss from what I hear on the radio talk and. And some of the posts better than I would have expected because there's a lot of that talk about how well it's a young team, growing pains. Uh, Rogers was six and ten his first year and lost like four games in a row or so. Yeah, right. You know we all know that, and I agree. Young team could be uh, bumps in the road, learning curves, all those cliches. Um, but but again, it it just seems like the there needs to be you know, a, a really solid coaching game plan to help this young team. And it's not there. It's not the last two, three weeks. Or, I mean, I guess Atlanta, they look pretty solid coming out. The Bears, they look pretty solid coming out, running the ball, uh, you know, a bit more. Um, but against New Orleans now and now against uh, Detroit, they just look a mess. That offense looks a mess for the whole first half. Um, and I saw a blip when we got home and I was watching some of the highlights. Um and and we knew sitting at the stadium, Mrs. Cheesehead and I were like, they've got to be just like all time worst on offense for the first half, whatever yards they did or didn't have. So I happened to catch on the highlights that it said, I think they had 20 or 21 yards of offense for the first half total. And that is the lowest uh, yards for a Packer team since like 1982 in, a, in the first half or a half. So, I mean, that's a long time. That's 40 years. I mean, so yeah, you know, Rodgers may have had some ups and downs. Favre certainly did. But I mean, you're going back to like pre-Lynn Dickey days or around when Lynn Dickey played and how bad the Packers were back then. And now uh, Coach LeFleur has the dubious honor of, of um, you know, putting his name in kind of a weird spot on the record books about having such a poor offensive performance in that half. And again, it's the running ball. Why aren't they running the ball? You have a young quarterback making some of his first starts. You have a young roster, a banged-up offensive line, and they come out, pass, 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 pass. And there's a sack in there. There's penalties, and it just does not make any sense to me. Um, even if it were A.J. Dillon, fine. I'm not a big A.J. Dillon fan anymore, but just I, I really don't understand why they can't hand it off two or three times, maybe a little a small screen or just a quick hitter type play to get uh, love settled in. I mean, I never thought I'd say this, but do you guys remember back in when Mike Holmgren came to town and, and the new concept he introduced was having that like 15 play script to start a game. And I remember towards the end of uh, Holmgren's run and, and I think McCarthy even did that a bit. I remember at times being like, I'm so sick of the stupid 15 play script. You know, what if this happens or that happens, you know, cause there was times you could kind of feel like, um, back then in the nineties, like no matter what was happening in the game, the old stubborn coach Holmgren was sticking to his script. And, and years, years later, I sure as heck wish we could have a guy like Holmgren now because that offense and in, in, in the first handful of possessions, again, the new Orleans game, the Detroit game, this isn't just a random thing. It seems to happen, uh, somewhat frequently, um, there's just no, 
I don't know. It just doesn't seem like there's any sense of purpose. I don't know what the, I don't know what the Packers do. Like, you know, you look at certain teams and like, yeah, they got a good pass game or, you know, they got this, or this is their philosophy. And for the Packers and, and under coach LaFleur, I don't know what that is. Everybody said it would be more of that motion and, and run the football type of approach with play action. Well, yeah, there's play action, but they don't run the ball. They had 10 total attempts. Uh, Dylan had five, Aaron Jones had five. And, and again, the Aaron Jones thing is a whole nother deal going back to coaching and everybody's all excited that he's suited up after missing a couple games. He's, he's without question, their best offensive player. Um, and, and so he doesn't touch the ball. Aaron Jones doesn't touch the ball until like second quarter. Well, why is he suited up then? If he can't take the, if he can't take a workload, then why you're wasting a spot? I, I just, it, it just boggles my mind how difficult they make this look at times. And that's, that's something with this football and Packers and, and LaFleur and, and McCarthy even there's times I'm just like, you know, it's not rocket science. These guys try to make it seem like it's rocket science. Like just this, this, you know, this basic fan can't understand all the genius that needs to go into playing football. You know, it's football. You have this round ball, you run it down the field and try to score. You know, you're not splitting atoms out there. So just run the dang ball, right? Do something to settle that quarterback. Like I said, we remember Rodgers and, and mostly Favre, you know, coming out hot. They, you know, airmailing balls. The famous line, Holmgren saying, hey, no more rocket balls, please. You know, Favre would be all jacked up to start a game. And so Holmgren, being the coach that he was, he knew he had to kind of call plays in a way that would help his quarterback settle in. And I just don't see that happening right now with LaFleur, and that's driving me nuts. You've got a guy that's clearly talented but inexperienced and a ton of inexperience around him, a banged-up offensive line, and you come out, pass, 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 pass. Why not just hand the dang thing off two or three times, you know, throw a screenplay, do something real basic to just get him a couple easy throws? I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, especially when you watch the offenses that go against our defense, and how easy they can make it look at times. Nothing looks easy for this Packer team. And that goes even, you know, back to last year, kind of starting to wonder now, is this a Rodgers thing or is this a LaFleur thing? Because now we've really come full circle. We've changed the GM over the years from Thompson to Gutekinds, got rid of McCarthy for LaFleur, you know, still saw some, some improvement, but we're losing in the playoffs. You know, maybe it's Rodgers. So then now Rodgers, so everything's been changed. But we're kind of seeing, you know, to me at least, a lot of the same symptoms no matter who's been around. And that's what's driving me kind of nuts here is, again, it's not rocket science. Just get, get the, you know, a few handoffs in there, a couple easy throws for your quarterback and, and settle in and get going. And again, the offensive line's all banged up. Elton Jenkins is out. Uh, the news right leading up to the game, if you hadn't heard, David Bakhtiari was put on injured reserve, which means he's going to miss at least four games. And then I got an article, I got, you know, I'll put it in the cheese curds. I got that blog on the website, um, cheese curds. I have a few links for you today, even if it is a WTF, what the Friday it didn't stop me from doing a little bit of research for you. Um, and, and so what I didn't realize, I, you know, just hearing about Bakhtiari and he had been out a little bit. Um, but I, I got an article that says he had a surgery again. Um, and like he had his knee scoped and now he's looking at another surgery and that he could be out the rest of the year. And then, of course, that speculation that because he's got a big cap number for next year and whether or not has David Bakhtiari played his last 
uh, game for the Packers with this bum knee and the big cap hit that he's going to take next year. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on, but it looks like we won't be getting David Bakhtiari back anytime soon, if ever, and that the Packers really need to figure it out on that offensive line before they get Jordan Love or anybody else killed. Another thing that's kind of got me frustrated about this this approach of our Packer coaches is is how much we kind of seem to be saving or resting guys, and I'll get into some of the snap counts more specifically on defense later, but for now we're kind of talking on offense, and I mean, for years, and again, this even goes to McCarthy, so I don't know what Aaron Jones needs to do to convince NFL coaches to give him the football. He's done everything I think he can, like put up great numbers almost any time he touches the ball. Uh, so Aaron Jones, again, comes out of that game with six total touches, five carries, one catch. Um, you know, there, it, I mean, clearly, if we go back to that Bear game, you know, that offense definitely... Uh, came back to life when Jones is in there, and it got awfully stagnant when he's not. So, of course, like I said, everybody's excited. Jones is back. We might see a little more rhythm on offense, and they don't even bother giving him the ball. Hardly ever. Now, so when this ties into you know coaching and the approach of coaches, um, now look at what Dan Campbell did. Now, he's not the play caller, but I got to imagine he has he has some input, uh, certainly, on, on what their approach is going to be on offense. So I talked on hump day about David Montgomery, former Bear, uh, free agent that went to Detroit this year, and he had a thigh bruise or thigh injury, and, and he was even a little questionable whether he'd play. But he had said, you know, he really wanted to play, wants to get back into this game because, you know, his whole career was with the Bears, and they had never beaten the Packers. So if you read between the lines a little bit, sounds like somebody's motivated to beat the Packers, right? Even though he might be a little dinged from a thigh bruise or injury, and they got the rookie, Jameer Gibbs, um, who, who looks like a good prospect. So uh, it seemed like it, it'd be a fair guess that if they're anything like the Packers, they'll give it to Gibbs, they'll maybe give Montgomery a little bit of work, but ease him back into it, right? Well, that's not what Dan Campbell did. Uh, he took the guy who really wanted to beat the Packers, and he gave him 32 carries. So David Montgomery, the guy coming off an injury, missed a week ago. I think he was out last week. He got the ball 32 times for 121 yards and three touchdowns. So to me, that's football. That's that's like you know figuring out the pulse of your team and, and where the motivations lie. And you take a guy like David Montgomery, who had played for the Bears forever, really wants to kill the Packers, and you feed them the dang football. Now, of course, you know, they had a lead, and I understand all that. It's hard to run the ball for the Packers when you're losing, you know, but to me that's still, you know, a shocking difference. Aaron Jones, five carries. A.J. Dillon, five carries. We had a grand total between those two of 29 yards. And then you look at the Lions, they gave it to David Montgomery 32 times, Jameer Gibbs eight times. Goff had a couple runs, and then they did a kind of reverse player gadget play to Khalif Raymond, and he got 40 yards, and that's another thing. Again, no, like, jet sweeps. Uh, Jaden Reed has looked pretty effective on running the ball here and there. Uh, they had Christian Watson back was another big piece supposedly coming back, and, you know, nothing creative to get him the ball. So I'm not really down on the players as much right now as it's this doggone coaching and, and, and the lack of, I don't know, creativity. I don't maybe it's the opposite. They're almost too creative. Um, with some of these goofy gadget plays they're calling early in games instead of just playing football, run the ball, make some easy throws, get into a rhythm. Um, and that's kind of what you saw the Detroit Lions do, but certainly not the Green Bay Packers for two weeks in a row now. 
some of the ugliest offense I've ever seen, especially in those first halves. So, and another item that kind of came out of some of the socials or, you know, media stuff was, now, I'm not a big fan of opposing players doing a Lambo leap. You know, I get it. You know, you want to do it. It is kind of a, I don't know, I'd say kind of a middle finger, though, to the franchise. Um, but it happens, whatever. You know, it's just kind of, you know, hey, here's your tradition. You know, I'm going to do it, too. So there's a little bit of static going around about apparently some Packer fan poured some beer on uh, one of the, I, I forget who it was, who who had the touchdown. It might have been Amon Russell Brown. I forget for sure. But um, so jumps in the stands and then uh, Packer fan pours some beer on him. And of course, there's a, a headline or two about, you know, uh, classless Packer fan, you know, pours beer on Lions player or something. So I'll admit the, the, um, the wasting of a beer is a concern of mine. You know, that, that to me is, is something I'd rather not see. Uh, and, and it's not a great look for Packer fans to be wasting beer like that. But, but as far as saying classless and everything, like, I don't know. I wouldn't do it. I I don't think I would dump a beverage on a player, an opposing player, but I kind of get it. Like you're going to jump into the stands of an opposing team's uh, stadium. You know, if they dump a beer on you, they dump a beer on you. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess to me that <laughs> it's not really worthy of all the headlines saying, you know, what a big deal this was. You know, you're going to, you're going to do some stuff like that. Yeah, there might be some repercussions. So either way, if you caught that on the internet, that that's my two cents on that. Uh, it's a shame to waste a beer on a Lions player, but uh, at the same time, I didn't think it was that big a deal. So, yeah, kind of a couple other numbers here. So, Jared Goff was 19 out of 28. You know, nothing remarkable, but, you know, efficient enough that they, what they needed from him with a good defense and a good running game. Huh, you know, funny how that works. Recipe for winning. Uh, Love passed it 36 times against, again, you know, only 12 total rushes. Two of those were from Jordan Love, so... Uh, they passed it three times as much against a team with a good pass rush and um, a, a banged-up offensive line. So, again, I, I just totally scratching my head on, on what LaFleur thinks his recipe for success is going to be with this young squad and a banged-up offensive line. Now, for the defense, you know, they were okay in spots. Again, the run game, you know, they get worn down, and I don't blame them. I thought I heard something like the Packers had, like, five straight three and outs. I don't know if they even had, like, one, you know, traditional first down maybe before half. I know they had one at least from penalty, but as far as just getting their own first down by their own uh, efforts and abilities, I, I think they may have had one in the first half. It might not even been still second half. I don't remember, but... um. So, so that, you know, a little bit of forgiveness for the defense there is again, you know, for a couple of weeks now they're, they're put, they're out there for a ton more plays than, than, uh, they should be. Looks like here, if I'm just kind of doing some rough numbers, I think, you know, Lions had like 70 plays or so compared to the Packers having like 40. So again, a huge discrepancy on number of plays, but still the, you know, kind of like I keep hammering the coaching thing. So I'm not even going to go scheme on Joe Barry, who's, you know, a favorite target of Packer fans. When, when a game like this happens, everybody wants to fire Joe Barry and, and trust me, I fire him. I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. That'd be fine. But it, what I'm also wanting to point out, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier is, is the snap counts. What I don't understand, similar to how goofy we are on offense and not trying to set up our, our offensive, uh, our young offense for success in, in terms of the plays we call is 
how many times last night I looked over to the bench and I would see some of our best defenders on the sidelines. Um, you know, it really, there was times it looked like we almost were, had our preseason lineup out there against the Detroit Lions. I mean, arguably, you know, what you're expecting to be probably your, your top competition in the division, you know, a potential playoff team, playoffs. They haven't, you know, booked it yet, but certainly trending that way as the Lions, I, I thought I heard this morning, you know, going back to last year, they've like won 11 out of 14 games or something. And the amount of times I look to the sidelines in key situations and see, Preston Smith, Lucas Van Ness, and Rashawn Gary all standing next to each other while, um, you know, guys like Justin Hollins are out there. I don't mind Kingsley and Gabari as much, uh, and Gabari, um, because, you know, he's, he's at least somewhat productive. So when he's out there, you know, that's okay, I guess. Um, but generally speaking, I, I it, it reminds me of like watching a middle school program. Everybody's got to get their snaps. Um, so I don't know what they're saving these guys for. If, if there's that much fatigue in the course of a game, you know, I understand the Rashawn Gary pitch count thing, but you know, we're in week four now he's been playing. He's everything I've heard is that he's like begging to, to get more snaps, but you know, they're being cautious. Packers are always so cautious with their players. And, and I, I kind of get that, but at the same time, man, this is NFL. You only get 17 games and you're running out of chances to win, you know, and these guys want to put up numbers. They want to get paid. So you got to, I mean, you can't tell me these guys enjoy being on the bench as much as they are. Um, so kind of like the Aaron Jones thing on defense and the way they rotate and how often. So anyways, I, I, I found a kind of an interesting thing, you know, pro football reference, I think is a pretty neat site. Not a lot of, uh, bells and whistles but a lot of numbers that you can crunch and so doing a little research here for the cheeseheads i was kind of curious if i could find something that talked about snap counts this year essentially how many snaps have some of these defenders been playing and i and i did on this uh website here um and interestingly enough a guy who i don't know he's had his moments but he's his moments of weakness are starting to uh overshadow some of his highlights from years past uh so far, according to this, Rasul Douglas has played 100% of the snaps. The only defender that's played 100%. Um, Rudy Ford is at 98, Darnell Savage 95, and Quay Walker 91%. You know, there's a there's some rounding there, but um, so interesting, right? <laughs> the top three guys in terms of number of snaps are not exactly our A plus players. You know, again, Rasul's had his moments over the couple of years they've had him. You know, again, it's been a while since he's had a big interception like he did those first, you know, year and a half worth of games when they signed him from Arizona. Uh, Rudy Ford's been okay. He had the one interception, but, you know, he's he's also kind of a journeyman player, so he's up there at 98%. And we all know Darnell Savage certainly is, is has been a disappointment as a first-round draft pick at safety. Saw him just bounce off the running back again last night and, uh, I think I have in one of my articles, maybe for, for the links that I'll put up, uh, just a lot of, uh, missed tackles. I think there was something that said like every defender had at least one missed tackle or something crazy like that. But then look at the drop off. So after Quay and again, Quay Walker, I think is, is trending up. He had the bonehead play again. It seems like he can't go more than two or three uh, games without something bonehead happening. But of all the defenders, I mean, he's pretty much the only guy really bringing it week after week. We'll, we'll leave Rashawn Gary to the side on that because he's not getting the snaps. Uh, but Quay Walker, he's at 91%. Um, I think part of that might be when he had to sit out of the bear game after he had that pick six. 
Um, but then a big drop off. We go to Kenny Clark at 68%, Keyshawn Nixon 64%. And now here's one. Preston Smith, veteran uh, edge rusher, I guess they're called now, outside linebacker. Uh, to me, probably their best defender from last year. Really steady, consistent presence. Pretty decent against the run. Gets you eight, nine sacks last year. Well, he's at 63% of the snaps. So he, he's just you know playing a little more than 50% of the time. Um, and then it, it goes down here to, to uh, TJ Slayton's. That's 56% of the snaps. And then Devontae Wyatt, number one draft pick. A lot of expectations from him after an offseason. Um, he's at 51%. You know, we'll skip Jair and Devondre because they're dealing with injuries that have affected, you know, their snap counts. But then we get it, uh, Kingsley and Abare. He's at 45%. So he's playing less than half the snaps. And he's one of the guys that seems more productive when he's in there. And then we'll go down to like Lucas Van Ness, our number one draft pick. Um, you know, when you're looking for help, I mean, against the run game or anything, let him play. 35% roughly, just under 35% for Lucas Van Ness. He's only playing about a third of the snaps. Uh, and then we'll keep going down, all the way down um, to Rashawn Gary. So, of course, you know, talked about it plenty. He's coming off the knee with a quote-unquote pitch count. Um, but he's at 77 snaps for the year, and he's uh, 26% roughly. So, Kenny Clark, 68% of the snaps. Preston Smith, 63%. Lucas Van Ness, 35%. Rashawn Gary, 26%. I, I mean, I just, I really don't understand all the rest that these guys are needing. You know, I just think of the days back then when, you know, Gilbert Brown, Santana Dotson, Sean Jones, and Reggie White. That was your front four. Granted, a pretty great front four, but those guys didn't leave the field much. You know, I remember Gilbert Brown would trot off maybe on passing downs. But for the most part, those were your guys out there. And I don't know if it's just the modern NFL is a little bit different, but let's take a closer look. I was kind of curious on Rashawn Gary because they're saying, you know, he's, he keeps trending upwards. His health is not an issue in the knee and he's asking for more playing time. So I wanted to just kind of see what his numbers would look like. And, and keep in mind, like I said, all those snaps Detroit had, they had tons of snaps and, you know, we're looking for any help to get a stop. So here's the snap count for every game, starting with week one for Rashawn Gary. He had 12, then he had 22 snaps against Atlanta, 23 snaps against New Orleans. So, wow, you know, really increasing the workload by one snap. But in those 23 snaps, let's remember he had three sacks. Um, and then against Detroit, they gave Rashawn Gary 20 chances to play football. He was out there for 20 snaps. So he's got a grand total of 77 snaps, all pretty e relatively evenly spread. So again, it goes 12, 22, 23, and then a little bit of a drop-off on a night when you could have used help from anybody. He was down to 20 snaps last night. So I just, I really don't get it. If these guys can play, they should play. Um, you know, I, I, I understand you maybe don't want Gary out there for all 70 snaps or whatever Detroit had, but, but 20? I mean, can't you get them up where maybe 30, 35, you know, kind of maybe be a 50% type of, you know, player just again, absolutely boggles my mind that one of your best, I mean, this is a first round pick. This is why you draft guys high and you give them money to, is to play football. So I don't understand the, the middle school approach of everybody, you know, getting their fair share of snaps compared to putting your best team out there. And to me, again, this is, this is a hundred percent on the coaching. 
and then speaking of coaching, I mean, we got to go, it's a three phase team. Maybe like I said, four phases, you got offense, defense, special teams, coaching. So we know coaching was an abject failure last night. And then the special teams not to be outdone by offense or defense. They also, um, had their fair share of mistakes. Of course he had the Quay Walker penalty that took a field goal off and then turned into a touchdown for Detroit and really sealed the game. Otherwise, Walker had a really nice night, like one of the few guys that seemed fired up on defense and, and willing to tackle. I mean, you got to be willing, I guess, is is what I should, what they might want to start asking some of these guys. Are you willing to tackle people? Then come to Green Bay. Um, and, and special teams continues with penalties. You know, it seems like any, any punt, even if it's a fair catch or that ball's rolling on the ground, somehow, for some reason, we're holding somebody. And Keyshawn Nixon, you know, great year last year, all pro, nice spark in some games. But man, he is just killing this team with his decision making. And that's got to come out to coaching, I would think. Isn't someone telling him, hey, when you're like nine yards back, I would I, w- I would, consider maybe um, downing that ball. Now, I know he had a couple moments last year where maybe he took some of those risks and it paid off. But clearly, it's not working this year. You know, we've it was been through four games, and we haven't really seen one real big home run return, and that's fine. I mean, it, I'm not saying it's Keyshawn's fault on on ability; it's decision making. And so, Detroit being a pretty good team, solid roster, do you think their special teams is going to just let Keyshawn Nixon, you know, zigzag through from nine yards deep? Of course not. So he was getting tackled at like the 20, three, four times in a row, and it's getting to the point where the the, the fans at Lambeau are getting to be like sarcastic. When they finally like, you know, have a touchback or when they finally get a first down, you get that, you know, nice roar from the the fans of like, finally, you know, just don't take it out. Like, ah, so that was nuts. I mean, at at least if you're going to be bad, you can be bad in all three phases. So well done on that part, Packers. But, um, you know, that kind of pretty well encapsulates my feelings on the game. You know, really frustrating. Uh, now that's four in a row, Detroit has uh, beat the Packers. So, Coach LaFleur, you better figure it out. Um, by the way, that, that little phrase, if you ever watch uh, Letterkenny, kind of a fun show, I think. I don't know if it's on Hulu or what, um, but that I think it's Canadian. And there's plenty of cursing, so it's not kid-friendly. Um, but one of my more favorite uh, quotes from that show is, uh, they always say, figure it out. Um, so, yeah, Packers coaching staff really needs to figure it out couple bright spots that I'd like to mention. Anders, Anders Carlson, uh, continues to do well as our kicker. You know, a lot of, a lot of question marks around him with some of the up and down preseason results. And he's, he's so far been great. So good job by Anders hitting a couple field goals last night. Uh, I don't, he's hitting his extra points so far. So that's been a, you know, one thing, one less thing as Forrest Gump would say, one less thing to worry about. Uh, Jordan Love, I thought for having such a rough outing and a tough game, in his post-game press conference, I thought he really uh, came off well. I mean, better than Coach LaFleur. Uh, Coach Matt was kind of testy, told one of the longtime Packer writers he had a BS question, which was not a BS question. Um, so kind of interesting there that your fourth or fifth start uh, quarterback uh, demonstrates a lot more composure and and articulate thoughts and answers. And that's the other thing with LaFleur, man. He, he was basically saying, I don't know. If I knew what was wrong, I'd fix it. Well, that's, that's to me, the first sign of uh, needing a life jacket to get off this Titanic. Because if your head coach is starting to say in front of the media, I don't know. I don't know what went wrong. Um, that's a red flag. Red flag. Um, so I like LaFleur. Seems like a nice guy. I'm not here to like bash anyone personally. But 
if the results aren't there, they're not there. So we'll be we'll be interesting. They got a long break coming up here until Monday Night Football. Uh, so they get about ten days off, but then they'll go play the Raiders. And I'm already seeing some chatter on the on X uh, from some of the beat writers saying, "Yeah, that's Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs." And with our defense, you know, that's going to be a challenge. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if there's any you know noticeable changes in the scheme or the approach uh, as the Packers have a a little bit of a lengthy break and kind of a weird stretch in the schedule. They'll pay, they'll play on Monday night and then they have a bye. So there's something where it's like they only have this one game in a span of about 20 days or something goofy like that. Um, so that's uh, that's your recap from my cheesehead life on what happened and what went down last night at Lambeau Field being there in person. It was pretty fun. Uh, Lions fans were pretty ruckus. Um, that's one thing. You know, the, the, the stadium and all the media, whatever they do to coordinate the fans, they, they put a lot of time into telling when fans should be quiet or loud. You know, and I, I get it. You know, like, that's the thing. You don't want to have them be cheering when when your offense is on the field. But keep in mind, that that, that stadium could have been 40% Lions fans last night. I don't know. So don't always blame the Packer fans if it's loud when your offense is out there. That There's a lot of opponent fans that are having fun coming to Lambeau and watching their teams beat the Packers. So maybe if you, if you reestablish that home field dominance, uh, some of the crowd noise and, and uh, the color of the jerseys and the seats will start to maybe make more sense. And uh, before I wrap up the Packer talk, I did want to do one, one more check-in. You know, my guy, A.J. Dillon, I got to keep an eye on his numbers here now. So... He's at, uh, through four games, he's got 44 carries. So I think Love has thrown like 130-some passes. So, you know, if he's kind of our number one back one, our quarterback is throwing it like almost three times as much as we're handing it off. Um, I granted, you know, you got Jones in there and some other guys getting carries. but um, And also, at, 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 a, at a whopping 2.7 yards per carry, you know, that's that's 44 times in four games, you know, so 11, 11 carries a game he's averaging that we're handing it off to A.J. Dillon and not getting a lot of production. So that's uh, second and long pretty much anytime you give it to Dillon on first down. I, I hope, again, it, whether it's Emmanuel Wilson, Patrick Taylor, a jet sweep to Jaden Reed, a jet sweep to Christian Watson, I'm just completely vexed. I want to say vexed at, at how the Packer coaching staff has not figured out a way to get, you know, more production out of the run game. Um, so that'll be it. I don't want to, well, that'll be the end of it on this uh, WTF, What the Friday. Uh, we're not doing, you know, Badger check-ins and look around the league. We took care of all that on hump day. So, again, nice long break till we have to look at these Packers again on Monday Night Football and see how they do against the Raiders. Uh, the, the Brewers, we'll just do a quick check-in on our Brewers here. Just in the fact that uh, their playoffs do start next week. I believe I saw it be on Tuesday, Wednesday, and then if necessary, Thursday. Um, so they still got a couple more games going. I think they got a, a series here against Saint, uh, the Cubbies, actually, to wrap up the season. Um, but just a heads up that your Brewers will be uh, in playoff action starting next week. And that's pretty much going to do it here for me uh, on My Cheesehead Life. Again, my name is Patrick. Remember to like, subscribe, share with friends, family, and enemies, uh, all the things. Really appreciate anybody listening. Uh, thanks for joining me here on this uh, kind of rare uh, Friday edition of WTF, What the Friday. Um, and I hope you all have a great weekend. No badgers to worry about tomorrow, and just enjoy yourselves. Uh, nice weekend of weather coming up here in northeast Wisconsin. 
Thanks again, everybody, for listening. And uh, don't forget to check out my website, mycheeseheadlife.com. And you can email me at info at mycheeseheadlife.com. Thank you.